Hi, this is Caitlin Sandino, and you are listening to the Ask the Masters podcast. As we continue to celebrate the women's soccer team's victory at the World Cup this year, the topic of women in sports is transcending all of the stereotypes. This week, I sit down with gold medal swimmer Caitlin Sandino to talk about her journey to Olympic champion and life after the Olympics. We discuss her embracing the status of role model and the significance of becoming one of the first female general managers in pro sports history. Stay tuned as we have a bit of fun on this week's episode. Hello and welcome to the Ask the Masters podcast. This podcast is dedicated to discussions about the design and construction of water shapes. The hosts of the show are all certified SWD masters who represent the leading builders and designers within the water shaping industry today. Welcome into a very special episode of Ask the Masters today. We're going to be uh, taking a little bit of a break from some of our technical conversations. Uh, we have the opportunity to have Olympic gold medal swimmer Caitlin Sandino in with us. And uh, such a pleasure to have you here. Thanks oh, for coming. Thanks for having me. It's a blast. So tell us a little bit about your uh, your Southern California native. Yes. Um, and, <laughs> and how you ended up in the pool and, and just a little bit about your, your background and how you got into swimming. Yeah, definitely. I was born. Born and raised Lake Forest, California. Uh, had a huge love of the water from a really young age. Uh, my parents joked that they couldn't even get me out of the bathtub. That's how much I just enjoyed being in the water. Uh, as soon as I was walking, I was going off the diving board with no fear. Just wanted to keep repeating that over and over again. My dad would be there catching me, helping me swim to the side, and around and around it went. Um, I'm the youngest of three. Uh, my older sisters are 11 and 13 years older than me. And I do think a lot of my athletic prowess came from that age difference because because I wanted to keep up with my older sisters. Sure. So I was going to swim meets, gosh, I was like two weeks old when I went to my first swim meet because my sister wow. was competing in it, right? So I was around the sport from such a young age and it was only natural for me to jump into that sport when the time was right. So at five years old, I joined a summer league swim team with the Lake Forest Sharks and just have extremely fond memories of summer league swimming, uh, just such a community feel and everybody was happy and excited to be there. And if we did well, we'd run to the snack bar and, you know, all the important things at a young age. But I was also just a huge tomboy. I loved all sports, very athletic, couldn't sit still, um, you name it, I wanted to do it. And my parents 100% supported that and they wanted that and they thought that, you know, there's more to life than just swimming. So let's see everything that she likes to do and what she doesn't like to do. And, um, you know, my dad has all girls and he would laugh that I was the son he never got because I was like asked to be on a boys flag football team. I was on a boys soccer team. I played boys water polo because there wasn't women's water polo at the time. Mm -hmm. uh, so I could hang with the guys pretty well. And, um, you know, I, I was a good swimmer at a young age, like a lot of talent in the pool. But nothing like earth shattering, I would say. Um, I was very small for my age. I was um, pretty short and really, really skinny, like really thin. And so all the bigger, more mature girls were always faster than me. So it wasn't until about 13, 14 years old where I started getting a little bit more height and some muscle on and people started seeing my talent. I was still playing soccer at the time. Those are the two sports that it came down to. And I was probably equally as good in soccer as I was in swimming. Mm. But my swim coaches... That's the right word. Um, like uh, encouraged or embraced the fact that they thought I could be even better had I picked one sport. Sure. So they uh, nicely nudged me out of soccer and then full-time swimming when I got to high school. And great things just kind of started happening after that. Um, I would say come from the best swimming family because my parents know nothing about swimming. <laughs> just super, super supportive and, um, you know, bending over backwards to get me into the swim practices, the swim meets, but also, again, maintaining that um, 
just the balance in life. I was class president from like grade school up into high school and was involved in yearbook and clubs on campus and had a lot of friends like outside of the sport as well. And just family always came first and um, fast swimming happened when I was just doing what I was told and worked hard in the pool and did the right things out of the pool and ended up making my first Olympic team at 17 years old. Wow. Yeah, yeah I remember that Olympics. That was a fun one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you were kind of the star of the Olympics that year. It's kind of surreal, you know, to think at 17 to have that mm, pressure or pedestal or however you want to put it. That's when I first started feeling all eyes on me when I was on the pool deck um, at the 2000 Olympic trials. I was 17 and I had only made my first international meet the summer before when I was 16. Oh, wow. And that was the meet that it clicked in my own head that I was good. Um, I think other people were saying, oh, she can make the Olympics or she's really good or she's our next thing. And I was just kind of like doing my thing, you know? And then at that meet, it was the 99 Pan American Games in Winnipeg, Canada. And I won my first two events and broke two Pan American records. And that's when the light bulb went off. That was like, okay. okay. <laughs> yeah, you know, and my, my parents are, my parents were always like just so supportive. My coaches were so cool because they got it. Like we, we were a smaller club team, especially for this area. But we had fantastic coaches and they had been there before. They had been at that level and they knew what type of kid I was. So we didn't talk about the Olympics very much. We had one meeting and my coaches was like, do you want to train for the Olympics? I was like, yeah, let's do it. And we never talked about it again. Hmm. Uh, we just upped some of the morning workouts, kept doing what we were doing in the pool as far as mileage or yardage. I was already training a lot. I was a distance swimmer. So I just put in the yardage and great things continued to happen and just swam like every event because you never know what you're good at if you don't try it. So we'd go to swim meets and see what, um, what I could put together. And then, yeah, it was that meet that I realized I had some potential and then went for an Olympic trials and ended up qualifying in three individuals. Um, and at that time was a little bit more um, uncommon than it is now. And especially that the, the versatility that I had between the, the different events, the 400 IM, the 200 fly, the 800 freestyle. So it was a pretty surreal experience, not only to make the Olympics, but then to go to Australia mm -hmm. because in Australia, swimming is the sport to be in. Uh, so the pressure and the eyes on that were pretty surreal. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's always kind of the, the two rivalry nations, you know, yes. it's, it's the Australians and the Americans and Definitely. who's going to win this year. Definitely. And, and at that time, Australia was really, really strong. I mean, I feel like in general, I mean, obviously I'm biased. USA is always very strong. Um, I will say Australia has had some seasons recently where they're not as strong as they used to be. But in 2000, I mean, they were they were tough and they had the big names. So that was a huge rival moment in, in swimming um, kind of just history. Yeah. So talk about a little bit, um, you know, swimming is such an individual sport. Yes. Uh, you know, it, how are rivalries like that built and that, you know, it's it's all, it, it seems to be very personal, uh, but yet, yet you have kind of the, the team component, you know, you're, yeah. you're representing the United yes. States and that. And so uh, talk a little bit about unique. that. Yeah. Even the way you're explaining it, it's like, it is a kind of, it's surreal. It's a different event. I mean, I just spent Sunday just like fangirling over the soccer team. Right. And it's mm -hmm. like, okay, that is a team event. But like, as an American, I feel like I'm on that team watching right. them. Right. And I think that's how it is for swimming. It's like, it's such an individual sport, you know, unless you're on a relay, which not a lot of people get to be on the relays. So when you, I feel like when you have that cap with the American flag on it, that's when it becomes a team sport or for me at USC when you're wearing that logo that's what embodies but when you're getting down to the race it's it's you it's on you all the hard work you did is what's going to come out and the, you know your reward is going to be what you put in and ultimately that's what I liked 
about swimming compared to soccer. Um, I like that it was all on me. I loved being, I loved being a soccer player. I loved being on a team, but on soccer, you know, it goes through how many people before it goes into the goal. Sure. When it comes to swimming, that gold medal is obviously it takes a village. I know it wasn't just me, but that day I put my hand on the wall and I came out with these medals. So, um, it, it is, it's an interesting sport. Um, a lot of, you know, to a lot of people, they find training boring and it is, I'll be the first person to it's say tedious. it. It is tedious. That's a better word. <laughs> Very politically correct. Um, you're falling that black line up and down the bottom of the pool, you know, but there's something very um, serene about it. Um, it's very graceful. It's very smooth. It's very strong. It's very explosive. Um, full body workout. Um, I, I'm proud to be a swimmer, but there's definitely, there's a, it takes a unique person to be able to put their head on the water and just keep going. Yeah, I'm reading a book. Uh, I don't know if you've heard. Uh, it's called The Blue Mind. No. Uh, it's a really, really cool book talking about the uh, psychology of water. And oh, they're me. studying brain science oh, and being me. near water and everything. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, uh, Michael Phelps was interviewed in there. And, and he talked about just the rhythm of the breathing yes. and, and uh, how it, it becomes somewhat... Um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, uh, like meditational. I was going to say, uh, pretty to... therapeutical. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. And, and when you find that cadence and when you feel good and when you're in that rhythm, I mean, it's a it's a really incredible feeling. And I remember always dreading Saturday morning workout because it was like three hours long. But the feeling after that, mm -hmm. like after you get out and after you get out of like a cold pool and it's just, um, it, it's hard to put the words in for it. It's a very unique workout. Yeah. So, um, uh, it's perfect transition into ISL. Uh, you know, I mean, we we're talking a little bit about, uh, you know, team yeah. and individual. And, mm -hmm. and so, um, you know, for those of the, uh, us that don't really know too much about ISL, can you kind of talk to us about it? And then I really want to explore the team aspect yeah. there because I don't understand that at all. Definitely. So ISL stands for International Swimming League. I am proud to say that this is our first year. And um, the way I explain it to non-swimmers is it's the NFL for swimming. Mm -hmm. Okay, so swimming is popular every four years for about two weeks because of the Olympics. But not only is it popular, it is the most popular. There's the stats to show it. Everybody is just focused in on the swimming. They're not missing the swimming. Uh, even when I come home, everybody like, oh, I love swimming. I never missed one race of swimming. It's like, why don't we have that excitement every year? Right. Because we do have a meet that competitive every summer. It's just not called the Olympics. It's called something else. But we are sending our nation's fastest swimmers to compete against the world. This summer is called World Championships. It's either Pan American Games or um, the World Champs. Like there, there's always a meet to that competition, but nobody really cares. Mm. So the goal of ISL is to elevate our swimmers in our sport. So we're going to have a professional swimming league that consists of four American teams and four European teams. I'm proud to be a GM for the DC Trident. I know. Congratulations. Thank you very much. Very, very honored and uh, thrilled for this role. And, and you, you nailed it. We want to embrace the team environment more as well. So now being DC Trident, we have a fan base of DC fans that are so excited that they have a professional swimming team so they can rally behind it. Now we went through a process of recruiting athletes, um, primarily Americans, but I do have other uh, swimmers from other nations on my team. Now our athletes will be representing obviously the U S when they're on these swim meets, but throughout the season, they'll be representing each ISL team that they are selected for. So this league is only for professional swimmers. They can't be in college. They can't be in high school unless they want to forego their eligibility. Okay. So this is, 
what I feel like is missing in our sport is what do you do after college? What do you do after the Olympics? Yeah. And that's the second question, right? And the, and the timing of it and how, how do you financially survive being a quote unquote professional swimmer? Because the opportunities are few and far between unless you're Katie Ledecky or Caleb Dressel. Um, and even so the names are so strong in the swimming community, but they're not household names. So why, why would anybody want to sponsor them or give them exposure or pay them that, you know, that sponsorship? Um, so we're trying to elevate that. We want these swimmers to get the attention, the recognition that they deserve. Um, I'm not discrediting any sport, but I think swimming is one of the hardest sports and mm-hmm. their swimmers train, like you said, tedious hours and the amount of self-discipline and the work that goes into it um, is extraordinary and they deserve more so this is what we're hoping um to be the first step in advancing our sport on a grander scheme if you will so will uh will you be holding meets in the in the the cities where the teams are located yeah so i've been kind of describing this year as a condensed season if you will just because of a, it's the first season, and it's a, it's a startup, essentially. And B, because it is the summer before the Olympics. So we didn't want to throw too much to these athletes that their goal is 2020 Olympics. And we don't want ISL to change that. We're not trying to take away anything from sure. the Olympics. We want this just to be another opportunity for you know going into 2020 to help Help their platform, you know, help their social media, help get them more recognition. So these um, opportunities for sponsors or appearances or clinics, et cetera, et cetera, can present themselves. Um, So these meets this year, there will only be three um, for each team. So there's actually going to be six in general because there's two different brackets. And then there will be a fourth if you qualify for finals. And for finals, it's the uh, top two scoring teams for the Americans and the Europeans, and they are putting in a temporary pool in Mandalay Bay in Vegas for the finals in December. Yes. So the other meets will be held um, for seasons to come. We'll have host cities doing the meets this year because of pool space and kind of the timing of everything and what we want for production quality and indoor pool versus outdoor pool. And we're doing short course meters and Americans usually do yards, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we'll have our first meet will be at IUPUI, which is just an um, legendary uh, pool facility in Indianapolis. Okay. It's actually where I qualify for my first Olympic team. Oh, wow. That's and then, fun. Yeah. It's, it's going to be pretty surreal to go back to that, um, that setting. And then from there we fly straight to Naples, Italy and, and we will have our first international competition um, over there, which obviously everybody's thrilled to be sure. <laughs> over there for a while. And then we'll take about a month break, and then we'll have what they're calling the American Derby, where it'll be just the American teams racing against each other, and that will be held at the University of Maryland. So for me, that's kind of like a home meet, uh, just being kind of in our backyard there. And then, like I said, the finals will be in December and Vegas, and then years moving forward, there'll be more meets, more locations, and then we'll just keep building from year to year. So since it's European and American based, will you be uh, a lot of travel back and forth? It seems like it. You know, this first year we only have the one. Um, but for example, I had a, a, a meeting for ISL in Antalya, Turkey in February, you know, so um, it, it's been pretty, um, it's a surreal experience for me. I mean, being a swimmer, I think I'm pretty used to structure and everything's pretty black and white. I've never been a part of a startup before at this magnitude. Mm. So for me, I'm learning a ton, uh, learning so much more of that on the business side. And um, I'm thrilled to be a part of it, you know, but I'm learning as I go as well. I'm still relatively young in in this kind of industry and wearing this hat. And the biggest responsibility or the thing that I want 
to focus on the most is the relationship with my athletes, mm-hmm. uh, being the GM. I mean, every, we have so many different people at different roles, but I want them to always have an open line of communication, trust, tr- uh, want to be transparent. Um, the summer has to come first. We have to put their needs first. I don't want them to do anything they don't feel comfortable doing. Um, and they needed to see our vision. You know, we're doing something unique where we're doing most favored nations. We are playing every single one of our summers the exact same salary. Um, because that's what we feel is right. You yeah. know, we're in this generation where that's such a hot topic. So when I was given this toolbox of saying, you have X amount of dollars, use it how you want to get your athletes. I wasn't like, oh, okay, well, I'm going to pay this person 20 grand. I'm going to pay this person five grand. You know, it was like, okay, well, that's what I'm going to do. I'm divided by a team. And then it's on them because there's bonus money. So if they win, they get that. If they get second, they get that. So that's on them to make that extra little paycheck, right? But this is a team and to function as a team, I believe everybody needs to be, you know, um, compensated equally. Sure. And then we'll go from there. We'll try to build the sponsorship opportunities and build their brand and help them. Because a lot of swimmers don't have representation or agents or managers. So they're kind of out there just lost. So with my experience and people that I have on my staff, if we could help them, that's even more of a bonus, I believe. Yeah, it's it's we're in a really interesting time uh, for women in sport. Yes. And I mean, it's just... You know, uh, I living in Southern California. I've grown up surfing, mm-hmm. and uh, the World Surf League uh, for 2019 they announced that their male and female athletes earn the same. Uh, prize money is the same. Incredible. And, uh, you know, and the fact that you know, congratulations to you to become one of the, you know, the first prominent um, general managers thank of you. a professional sport. Yeah, I mean, that's thank you. it's pretty surreal. <laughs> it is, and and uh, you know, it, just how cool is that? It, you know, it, it's. Um, I've been married to my wife for 23 years and, and the insights that she has into things are so different right. than what I have. And just hearing you talk a little bit about, you know, just, uh, the athletes first in that, and, and not that there aren't men that have that, but, mm-hmm. but women just have a different perspective. Yeah, and definitely. I think it's time for, uh, you know, for that to be, uh, promoted within sport. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. I will say I'm proud of, Swimming in general, I feel like celebrates the athletic athletic achievements of male and female equally. Sure. But that's not to say the compensation is, you know, but also swimming doesn't have a lot of compensation either. Right. So we're kind of working with a twofold here. It's, <laughs> you know, it's like, I, I just want to be able to help these athletes not have to worry about of financial opportunities when they're training for the Olympics. Right. Like a lot of these swimmers have to get jobs and like abnormal jobs. And I mean, who, who can hire somebody that needs to be like, okay, well I have three hour, three hour workout in the morning that I need to eat and I probably need to take a nap. But then I have like a window of like two hours I can maybe work from you. And then I have to go to afternoon workouts. Like who's going to hire that person. Right. But they're like one of our best swimmers in our country, let alone the world, but they have to have a job, mm-hmm. you know? So it's just, it's mind blowing. It truly is. And it's like, you know, a lot of people think that you're at your peak in college. No, I mean, I'm, I honestly think I'm more fit and in better shape now than I was when I was at my peak. Mm. Um, just what I know and what I can afford and how I eat and how I take care of myself. I mean, you get wiser each and every year, right? Sure. I was not eating well at freshman year at USC. <laughs> you know what I mean? My social um, commitments were a little lopsided as well. You know what I mean? So it's just like, but their financial opportunities 
didn't allow you to really keep going. Right. I was one of the lucky few that had a, a contract, um, and that was very, very few at the time. So I'm just I'm thrilled to be a part of it. I I um. I'm optimistic. It's a lot of work, but I will hustle as hard as I can. <laughs> yeah. No, it's really, it, it, like you described it and, and in my research, I mean, it just seems like, uh, you, you know, it, I feel like you're going to be able to produce even better swimmers uh, because you can have, you know, this can be your job right. where previously it was like, oh yeah, this is my, right. my sport. I'm going to the Olympics, but my job is, you know, yeah. McDonald's or right. whatever. Exactly. It's almost like if you don't hit the timing right with when you went to college and the Olympics, you're kind of like, oh, like if, if you just graduated and the Olympics aren't for another three, four years, like what do you do? Right. But you're like, I, I want to go for another Olympics. But if you seriously can't keep continuing because you're worried about getting that job, that's sad. It really yeah. is. Yep. Um, one of the other things I wanted to touch on um, was the Never Ever Give Up Foundation. Yes. That's I know nothing about it, and, and the little bit of research that I did on it, it just sounds so yes. intriguing. So, so fill me in on that. Yes. So the Jesse Reese Foundation, also known as NIGU or Never Ever Give Up, uh, it was all started by an 11 year old little girl named Jesse Reese. She was diagnosed with two inoperable brain tumors, and um, <laughs> she was. She's just a surreal, I like just giggle because I'm just like, I can't believe like what she started. Um, so she was going through outpatient treatment at Chalk and she was lucky that she didn't have to like stay there for long periods of time. So her diagnosis was not good. Right. So one day her parents, you know, their world was obviously rocked and so much stress and sorrow on the family. And they were checking on Jessie one day in her bedroom and she was taking, you know, this like brown paper bags that you would take your lunch mm -hmm. in. She was decorating them and she's putting like her own toys in them. Oh, wow. And they're like, Jesse, what are you doing? And she's like, I want to take these back to the other kids in the hospital. Like I want to brighten their day. And our dad was just like, oh my gosh, you know? And she's like, how can we help them? And her dad's like, here's my daughter who's basically just been given this terrible news and she's thinking, how can I help the other kids? Mm. So her dad's like, are you, are you serious about this? She's like, yeah, daddy, I want to, I want to brighten days. So her middle name was Joy. Oh, wow. So they turned it into Joy Jars. Uh, they met with the hospitals to figure out what can we do? What can't we do? What, you know, this is, my daughter is really serious about this. And, you know, it was something that distracted the family as well while they're going through, sure. going through this. And uh, they came up with Joy Jars and they are 64 ounce containers. They're age and gender specific and they're all hospital approved items, like no candy or junk or anything like that. But just, it's meant to bring a boost of joy while in the hospitals. Um, so for different ages, you know, there's different things, but in general, we always like to have like a beanie in there to keep their, their heads warm. And a lot of them are going through chemo. So obviously losing hair, the really fuzzy, cozy socks or the colorful mm. socks, kids love, kids love socks. And again, being in these cold hospitals and just keeping them warm um activity books crayons for the older kids like earbuds like anything that you could really shove into this jar and it's just like it's filled it's just like it's not just like one or two things in there it's just massive um so jesse fought for about 10 months and before she passed away and after she passed her family wanted to continue what she had started. Cause her goal is that she wanted every single kid fighting cancer to get one of these joy jars. Wow. Uh, so I went on my first hospital visit just months after she passed away in 2012. And I was not sure what to expect. I had, hadn't spent much time in a hospital, let alone done a hospital visit. Um, but you know, throughout the course of being you know, at my prime of my career, you get asked to do a lot of things and a lot of charity events. And I always had a heart for it, but I always felt like it was kind of superficial because we would 
show up to our thing and leave and then there's no real connection if you will right um so with the jesse reese foundation you know jesse was a um she was a swimmer herself she was with the mission bayo oh, wow. and adador so that's actually how i got synced up with her because the swimming community is very tight-knit and a family asked me if i would uh, go to an event for her and of, of course and that's when i first met her and her father and Eric has these like crystal blue eyes and it was kind of like my first time I've ever experienced looking into somebody's eyes and just feeling their pain. Mm. And I felt so helpless and I was just like, what can I do? Um, right. so it wasn't until after she passed that they reached out and asked if I would do this hospital visit. And again, like I said, I wasn't sure what to expect and I didn't want to get sad and I didn't want to like cry, you know, I knew I had a, a, a job to come sure. in and continue what Jesse started and to spread joy. And we brought, uh, well, we were asked to bring our medals and wear some Olympic gear and pass out Jesse's uh, joy jars. And as soon as I was done, I wanted to do more. It was just a surreal experience. Um, and I truly mean it that, cause everybody's like, well, isn't it sad? Like, don't you get sad? It's like cancer sucks. Like yeah. it's affected too many, way too many people. And it, it, it hits home for a lot of, a lot of people and myself included. Um, but the amount of, um, good vibes and positive vibes that these children's just, they just, I don't, it's surreal. These kids are so tough that they're over there encouraging and inspiring me it was harder to see the parents it's yeah. harder to see the grandparents it's harder to see the siblings um because you know this is hard on them these kids are just so resilient um and obviously there's some kids that are more engaging or feeling better and they want to hang out and they don't want to hang out or some people love swimming and they want to talk and some kids are just shy you know so each room was a different experience but I got to say, Jessie knew what she was doing because those joy jars really did light up a room. Um, it was the perfect icebreaker. You know, you're walking into a hospital room basically playing Santa Claus. You know, I'm, I'm giving you toys. I'm not here to give you a shot or medication or deliver bad news. Like, I have something great for you. You know, and that was the start of something. And from there, we were, we you know, the joy jars obviously completely free. And then we asked these families to enter kind of like our, our, our database again for free so we can continue to send boosts throughout the year mm. because the Reese family know that it is a long journey and every little boost along the way helps. And if there's any way that we can bless these families, you know, so knowing where they live. So if we have angels tickets that are donated, we could look into our database and see who lives in the Anaheim area and be like, okay, we have these two tickets. Is, are you, is your child feeling well enough to go? Can you attend? You know, different ways. And this is across the country. Um, the joy drives are across the world. Wow. Uh, so yeah, I've been a part of that foundation ever since 2012. I became the national spokesperson and um, was kind of like the first professional athlete, um, if you will, to really go for it and try to get other athletes to come on board and to use their platform to make a difference. And, um, as I alluded to earlier, you know, you get asked to do a bunch of appearances and nothing really sticks. Right. So for me, this was about getting into the nitty gritty and really, really being a part of something and really embracing something and really using my platform to make a difference. Um, so it was just asking people, do you want to come? Are you in the area? Do you have a heart for this? Cause not everybody's comfortable in this setting sure. either. And that's nothing against them. I totally get it, but there's a foundation for everybody out there. So it's right. like, find what you love and do it. And, um, Oh, I've done over 160 hostel visits with this foundation wow. over the years. Um, these medals have traveled with me 
pretty much all of them. Sometimes I'll bring one or sometimes I'll bring three, but it's pretty cool because the foundation had medals made for the children. So they oh, got wow. to see mine. And well, <laughs> it actually stemmed from a kid putting it on and not wanting to take it off. Okay. And I was like, oh gosh, how do I get this back? <laughs> <laughs> right. And so and, and we kind of started talking through it. So we're like, oh, we're going to make them a medal because they deserve the medal, sure, right? yeah. And so some of these kids will never get to play sports again or won't be able to win a medal. So to be able to leave them with one just to be like, you know, you deserve this because you are so strong and you are so determined and you're never, ever going to give up. And 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 a, and a memento for us. Like, don't forget the Jesse Reese Foundation is supporting you and cheering you on and you're not alone. That's a lot of what we wanted this these children and these families to know that they're not going through this alone because it's a very um, isolating process and um, your world gets rocked. Yeah. So it's been pretty surreal to be a part of. And um I have this book that is coming out. Yeah, very, let's very talk soon. about that a little bit too. Thank you. And well, you know, the, what I was going to say is I love that I was able to really talk about this foundation um, mm. because it's important that people know that we exist. Um, there's a lot of amazing foundations out there that it's all about finding the cure, but who's going to care on these kids before we have a right. cure? So being able to, like, again, share with whoever picks us up, the country, the world, whoever's buying my book, sharing about the Jesse Reese Foundation. So if they know somebody or if they themselves are going through this, that there is a group of people that want to live on you and send you boosts of encouragement throughout the year. Um, so it's been neat to be able to incorporate Jesse's story into my story. Um, but it's such a huge part of my life. Uh, you touched on it. Like, what do you do after the Olympics? Right. Well, there was definitely that time in my life where I was lost. And it was just one of those things where one thing led to another. And I'm sitting down with Eric Reese, who was a pastor at Saddleback, and he helped people find their purpose in life. And it was just like, whoa, like, what are the odds? And then he said, well, do you want to do more of these hospital visits? So one thing led to another. So it was finding something that really filled that void in my life and filled up my passion cup and being able to use that platform um, to help Jesse's story. It wasn't really about my story anymore. Uh, we used it. There's a parallel for sure. I mean, Jesse's mission was about never, ever giving up. And between my 2000, 2004 Olympics, I had a lot of obstacles and adversities and injuries and illnesses and a car accident that there was just one thing after another. And I was like, ah, uh, but I never gave up. And 2004 Olympics worked out amazing for me. And so Jesse's story of Nigu and my swimming story definitely coincide, but life after swimming was about being able to shed light on something else other than myself. Um, so it's been pretty therapeutic uh, going through this book. Um, I actually, it was something I wanted to do for quite some time, but didn't really know how and didn't know when and didn't want it just to be about swimming. So I'm glad I took some time to see what kind of developed after. And it was about three years ago where the co-author Dan and I um, we reconnected at the Olympic trials where I was doing some things for hosting and he was uh, inquiring if I was, had any interest in doing a book. I was like, he was reading mm. my mind. I was like, yes, don't know how to do it. Right, right. <laughs> and he's like, let's do it together. And so um, it was amazing. It was surreal. And my mom actually was diagnosed with breast cancer mm. and yeah, that was, thank you in 2015. And that was, pfft, talk about getting your world rocked but she's doing awesome she's awesome. doing so so good she just kicked butt i'm so proud of her um but that was a time in my life where i took a major step back on things professionally mm -hmm. and was just there for my family right. and you know my two older sisters married with kids and had a lot going on in their lives and 
just, um, I had just been married and my husband was super supportive, but obviously we don't have kids. And I was just kind of living at my parents' house and just helping my mom go through everything and all the appointments because she wanted my dad to continue to be at work and just be another set of hands and encouragement and making sure she was eating during the day. And um, that's when I spent a lot of time on the book. So it was very, mm-hmm. like when I say therapeutical on so many levels, just to revisit the swimming portion of my life and to reread journals that I kept from the Olympics and to read my emotions that I was going through as like a 17 year old representing the country. Um, and then on a very emotional level, what my mom was going through. So everything at this time was just, um, I just a big believe that everything happens for a reason. So it was a good time in my life and it came together pretty quick. I mean, three years later and it, it comes out on the 15th. Um, I'm just hoping to inspire and encourage and motivate people. Um, well, and that's a little bit what we talked about earlier before yeah. we started is that's kind of your dream in life is to kind of become a motivational speaker and just kind of encourage people and, yeah. and uh, talk about it. Tell me about that dream. I mean, yeah. that's really fun. I mean, I started, I've always been really comfortable with motivational speaking or just speaking in general. I think that has a lot to do with having success at a young age where you're kind of asked to do things at a young age. You know, I remember getting like my first like, hey, will you come speak to, uh, gosh, it was a grade school right by my high school. Like it was like for the fourth grade. And I was like, oh, I was 16 years old being asked to go talk to fourth graders. You know, I'm like, what do you want me to talk about? <laughs> and they're just like, you know, about, you know, to say no to drugs and make the right decisions and work hard. And I was like, oh, okay, I can do that. And I've never been the type of person that writes things down. I just get up and start talking. And I just had the comfort with it. I started loving it. And the older I got, the more comfortable I was with my own story. And the more that my story developed, the more passionate I was about it because I feel like I can make it relatable. And I think that's the most important thing is that I'm no superhuman. Um, I put my pants on the same way that you do. I have my strengths, my weaknesses, uh, my shortcomings, but there's um, something to me that's wired, you know, to just go for it. And um, I feel like we are in a time where things are kind of negative. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, social media is insane. Um, just the way that young girls compare themselves and, and, and boys, um, and not even young. I mean, yeah. our peers, you know, what we're looking at, everybody's highlight reel on Instagram. And I just want to be somebody that pumps people up. You know what I mean? And I, I don't really know how else to say it. I just feel like in my story, I, I share that it wasn't always perfect. You know mm. what I mean? And I share that it wasn't always gold medals and rainbows and butterflies and kittens. And I think that's what's relatable, right? Because I think that's um, something that we can all relate to in life. And, um, and personally too, you know, there's days that I don't want to get out of bed either, you know? And, um, so if I could just be that voice or somebody that can inspire, encourage, motivate, I want to do that. I want to do that so badly. And, um, I take it with pride, you know, when people consider me a role model, that is definitely something that I don't take lightly. And, the things that I think about when I'm out in public or what I'm posting on social media and whatnot. But at the same time, I want to be authentic and I want to be myself and I want people to know who I am and know that I'm confident in my skin. And, um, I think a lot of that just goes back to parenting. Uh, my parents are just like surreal. Um, kind of like the biggest takeaway is, you know, oh, what type of parents did you have? And I was like, the kind that loved me no matter what. Right. <laughs> and uh, I say their unconditional love is what allowed me just to go for it because I knew first place, last place, DQ'd, 16th place. My parents were not going to love me anymore, any less. Sure. My love was not determined by these medals. 
I always, I always joke that they love me more than I got a fluoride scholarship, <laughs> <laughs> but that's a total joke, but it's like, I mean, work hard kids, you know, work hard. It pays off and your parents will love and appreciate that. Um, <laughs> but I just think, um, I, I sh- this book is dedicated to my parents and my sisters. I mean, it, it, it takes a village. That's for sure. So tell, uh, as we're getting, wrapping up here, tell me a little bit, like, is the book all about? Give me kind of the summary of what the book is. Yeah, you know, it's a little bit before, middle, during, after. Um, you know, I think people are always really curious, like, what, how I was raised, you know, because I, I feel like that's a very common question from parents. Like, well, what were you like at 10? I was like, crazy, like, at too much energy, like, loved candy, loved rollerblading, you know what I mean? Like, well, what were your parents like? I'm super laid back. My parents, like my mom wanted to find me like the cutest bathing suits and they matched my cap and goggles, you know? So it's like priorities. Um, and then, and the journey, you know, cause I did have success at a young age, but when I say I had success at a young age, I'm saying teenager because there are kids that are like awesome at six years old and don't get me wrong. Like I won some stuff when I was six, you know, but I definitely went through that stage where everybody was bigger and faster than me. Um, and there was a time in my life where like, I wanted to go to the World Cup. I didn't want to go to the Olympics. You know, I wanted to be a soccer player. Um, so it's the whole journey between the swimming part, the well-balanced, everything else in my life. Um, and then really trying to emphasize the hardships too, because I think, I mean, if I wrote a book, I was just like, I'm awesome. I always win gold. Right. Like who would Check want to read out. that? <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, but I think it's important that we talk about the failures um, because it makes the success even sweeter. And like, even my swimming story doesn't end on a high note. Like I was going for a third Olympics and I didn't qualify. Mm. I got eighth. That was at Olympic trials. Like that does not make the Olympic team. Um, and that was due to injury and illnesses leading up two weeks and two months beforehand. And it was just like, didn't go as planned, but that's life, you know. When there's and, four years of life, that's gone then. Well, totally. And, and and that the crazy part is I had never trained so hard or focused so much on swimming between 04 and 08. Mm. And I didn't make 08. Wow. You know what I mean? It, it just wasn't in the cards. Um, and then what we just talked about, talking about, okay, well, what's life after swimming? And, um, you know, I was really honored because we were just going to self-release this book. Like, th- this book basically if I would have just had it on like a PDF form on my computer I would have been happy with it like that would have been enough for me like I just wanted my story um (laughs) partly because I have a terrible memory so I'm like forgetting a lot of this stuff (laughs) my parents are worried about my memory um and um we had enough of a rough draft and enough contacts to kind of you know, get it out there. And when Rowan and Lilyfield pick, picked it up, they said the part of why they wanted to pick this book up is because it was more than just swimming. Mm. And so that part like really meant a lot to me because yeah. that's kind of what I'm about. You know, it's like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna milk the Olympian thing because it gives me a platform to share more than just that part. Right. You know what I mean? Um, so I get to share about the Jesse Reese Foundation and I get to share about like my passions like outside of the pool and then what I did after swimming and what I'm still doing. Like now I'm like, oh man, maybe this book came out too soon. Like now I'm doing <laughs> ISL and you know, all these different opportunities and I'm a, I'm a partner in a, in a fin company called Laguna Fin and it's like, that's a new business hat for me to wear too. And so um, maybe this is the first of two. We'll see, we'll see. But, that's what um, I was going to say. Yeah, yeah. that'd be kind of surreal. One. Yeah. And then um, touching a little bit on my personal life, you know, people wanted to know about my husband. So there's a little short chapter about why he completes me and why he's perfect for me. And, you know, we got married quote unquote late, you know, I was 
32, one, two, don't, <laughs> I met him when I was 30. Um, we've been married four years. <laughs> um, so just kind of getting to know me a little bit more. So I, I, again, what it comes down to, I hope it inspires and encourages. Um, and if it doesn't, I'm sorry, <laughs> yeah. but my mom really likes it. So I'm good. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. No, it, it's, I mean, just the way you've been able to utilize your platform already, you know, I mean, that's just Thank so you. cool. So, I mean, I just the whole, I, I, I've been a big hockey fan uh, yeah. growing up back East and, uh, and, and that's one of the things that the NHL has been really good with is about, you know, going into hospitals yes. and kind of just lifting people's hearts and, and everything. And, and it just so, it, it humanizes mm-hmm. you, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, uh, I just, I can't thank you enough for that. I Ugh, mean, that's really, it's like my honor though. Like every time, like the Jesse's foundation or like Jesse's grandfather's like, Oh my gosh, Caitlin, thank you so much. I'm like, no, no, no. Like, thank you. And like what you're saying, it's like, it's not hard for these. It's not hard for us. It's like two hours of the day. You know what I mean? And it's like, might be a little bit of logistics, but it's, and it's just as rewarding for the person that's going in. And that's, what's been cool. The Jet Series Foundation is that it's encouraged other summers to do it and getting their feedback. Like, oh my God, Caitlin, that was so amazing. Thank you so much. I'm like, yay. Like you get it. But then there's some, like I had a girlfriend being like, Caitlin, it's really hard for me. I can't do it. I'm like, totally that's get fine. it. I totally get it. But you know what? You have a huge social media, like following post about it on your social media and let's call it like square. You know what I right. mean? Like there's other ways to get involved. There's other ways to make a difference. Um, and the thing that's so amazing about Jesse is that she was an 11 year old girl when she started this. Right. She was an Olympian. She didn't have a blue check next to her name on Instagram. She didn't have a million dollars. You know what I mean? Like an 11 year old girl who was changing the world, mm-hmm. making a difference. If an 11 year old girl can make a difference, we can make a difference. Um, no matter what your platform is, yeah. we all have the opportunity to make the world a better place. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming in today. Yeah, it's very inspiring. Oh, uh, so thanks. when does your book come out? Uh, you know, it's available pre-order, but July 15th is the celebration date. Uh, looks like I'll be doing a um, Barnes & Noble event at Fashion Island on the 21st okay. of July. Don't quote me. We're still working on it, <laughs> but I'll let you know. Um, so yeah, and I'm going to do a book stop in um, Ann Arbor, Michigan. going to go back to some of my uh, latter roots in my swimming career and the co-authors from Michigan as well. So we're going to do an event out there. And then um, just trying to um, just bring it along. You know, we're going to be at the Nationals for USA Swimming at the end of this month. Um, be doing um, kind of like they do... I call it a talk show. It's like fun. I'm hosting a show before every night of finals for the nationals and I'll do an autograph signing out there as well. So, um, yeah, available on Amazon or through the publishing company and uh, bookstores. Cool. And we're, uh, we're recording this the week before, uh, but we're going to be releasing this on the 16th. So Perfect. as of right now, the book's available. The book is available. Get go. the book <laughs> or so, don't, whatever. <laughs> uh, if people want to get involved in Negu, uh, yeah. where do they find that? I go to negu.org, and there's a bunch of different ways that you can get involved. Uh, if you love to golf, we have a great golfing charity event coming up in September. We always have a beautiful gala, um, usually in March or April at the Disneyland Hotel. If you want to donate, obviously, we, we, we need money. I know that sounds so greedy, and I'm so uncomfortable in that setting, but you guys get it. It's a nonprofit. We, yeah. we need the money to stuff these joy jars and send them across the world. Um, if you're a corporation 
wants to get involved, if you want to stuff the joy jars, if you want to volunteer at the Jesse Reese Foundation, which is located in Irvine, a lot of different opportunities just by going to negu.org. Okay. And then uh, how about a little bit more? How can we connect with you? Um, you can go to my website, caitlinsandano.com, or I'm on all social media platforms. Love social media. Uh, Caitlin Sandano on all of those. And um, yeah, website, social media, Facebook, you name it. I'm around. Cool. Well, you'll be easy to find. <laughs> yeah, hopefully. If you can spell Sandano right. <laughs> all right. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. All right. Thanks for listening to the Ask Masters podcast. And don't forget to check out our Facebook page each week on Tuesdays for new episodes of the show. I also want to encourage you to stop by the Ask the Masters Facebook page and invite other like-minded individuals to join us there as well. Feel free to jump into the conversations and even post your own questions. We want to create a community which fosters learning and discovery for the betterment of us all. You can also subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. Please be sure to subscribe and feel free to share.